2: My next interview is with Robert Osborne. He's a returning guest and he is here to talk about his new film, The Third Dive. It's available uh, through CBC. Uh, it's, uh, it it I recently aired and this is a film that goes a little bit deeper into Rob Stewart's death, and for those of you who don't have a, an understanding of either, if you don't know the name or if you don't know who Rob is, uh, or, or the film Sharkwater, um, for that matter, uh, maybe by now we're ringing a bell, you're going to want to dig a little deeper here. And recently, uh, a theatrical uh, release uh, for Sharkwater Extinction came out. This was Rob's third film. He was in the middle of filming it, and uh, tragically, he uh, died while uh, filming Alongside of a whole group of other people, and so this is where Robert goes a little deeper into the film, uh, into the process, into what was going on, and tries to uh, peel back a few layers. Uh, this is about this is about sharks. Uh, this is about scuba diving. It's about Key Largo, and I mean we even. We even talk about uh, uh, sawfish sharks. We talk about the content of of, of what really took up uh, a huge, huge portion of, of Rob's life, his dedication, his passion. We talk about that. Robert uh, Osborne is also a diver, so he's got some insights into this. And I don't want to give too much away. Uh, you might want to go. You're going to be able to read about it on the site, of course. Uh, you can see the trailer. You can read a little bit more um, uh, reviews by now, I would imagine. But I encourage you to go and see. This is a film that's about 42 minutes long. Some really interesting insights here and some uh, there's a real um, a sense of of, of of injustice that I think uh, that uh, certainly Robert is driven by here and he's trying to get to the bottom of this. He's trying to get to the truth. So check it out, the third dive on CBC. Don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my writing and my speaking and also rabble.ca for a whole host of other interviews. And if you want to get behind the work that I'm doing here at Face to Face, you can do that on patreon.com and support us financially. And if you can't do that, which I totally get and totally understand, you can head to iTunes. I would appreciate it if you left a review there for us uh, at iTunes for Face to Face. Coming right up, Robert Osborne on uh, Rob Stewart, The Third Dive. It's his film. And uh, this is something that you need to know about as a Canadian. Rob was a passionate and committed. Uh, entrepreneur, he was an activist, he was a diver, and 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 so much more, a real hero and a real uh, true Canadian. Check it out, Robert Osborne and The Third Dive. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest here with us today, Robert Osborne. He's a, a journalist, uh, a filmmaker, a uh, producer, director, writer, uh, here today to talk about a new film coming out on CBC Docs, POV, The Third Dive, The Death of Rob Stewart. Robert, thanks for joining me today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, David. I appreciate it. And a
2: return guest.
1: I remember very fondly when, uh, when I was asked to do this interview, I immediately remembered speaking to you about Sentinel Peace, piece, and it was one of the better conversations that, we, that I had during all of the uh, lead-up to that film.
2: Well, that's that's great. Thank, thank, thanks for saying so. I appreciate that. It's uh, you know, as you probably know, I'm 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 not, unlike you. I'm not really much of a journalist. I'm more of a conversationalist. So that's that's what I'm uh, that's what I'm all about. And that's what we're here, you know, today to do to, to chat uh, about this film, The Third Dive. So, so pretty interesting. Uh, Sharkwater Extinction. Uh, Rob Stewart's third film uh, came out uh, just yesterday, uh, and your film is going to be premiering on uh, the 26th of October. Hopefully, going to be living with CBC for quite some time. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about that. But the timing is so, um, um, you know, poignant for so many reasons. Tell us a little bit about the third dive, um, how, how it started. And you're a diver, too. Uh, well, that which, was the genesis yeah, of David. Eh? Yeah, yeah, so that makes because sense.
1: Because I'm, uh, not only am I a, a journalist, but I'm also, I've been a diver for many years. And, and for the last 10 years, I've started to push into the more, um, complicated world of technical diving. So I've been doing, taking courses in cave diving, taking courses in decompression theory. So I've been pushing into deeper and further, more sort of, uh, risk, risky, uh, diving areas. So I had that background. And when, when I started to read the media reports back in, uh, the February of, of, of 2017 after Rob was, uh, died, I thought, you know, it doesn't all add up to me. It's, there's, there's a simple explanation being offered here that does not make sense to me. And that started me to pull on one simple thread. And, and, and as any journalist will tell you, if you start to pull on one thread and it just keeps going and leading you to other threads, then you know you've got a story at a certain right. point. and that's what I did.
2: So how long, how long have you been doing this kind of work? Because so, I guess my question is, you, you played the hunch here, you, 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 you listened to your intuition clearly, and, and this is the path that led you down.
1: How long have I been working? Yeah, on how long?
2: With? I get, No, I think the question, Robert, is how long has your intuition made sense to you in, in the way that it, it's taking you down? You know, like you say, you, you pull in a thread and it, it reveals.
1: Well, I've always trusted that. Yeah. I mean, now, now it has to be backed up with facts at a certain point. Right. But, you know, I tell my students at Ryerson, I, I teach a, a course in the graduate studies program in journalism there, and I always tell my students... You know, you, you, you kind of where do stories come from? Well, stories come from those situations where you look at something and you say, "Well, that doesn't sound right," or you know, "That right. doesn't make sense to me." And that's when your work as a journalist kicks in, because rather than what most people might do is to go, "That doesn't make sense," and then and and move on. Our job is to, if we find those scenarios, is to then set about systematically then researching that scenario to find out why or if it doesn't make sense.
2: So, so Robert, do do good stories come from asking good questions? Is that what I'm hearing?
1: Oh, always, always. You know, in fact, you say you're a conversationalist, David, and, and I've I, 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 Plead with my students to not do interviews with their subjects, but to have conversations.
2: (laughs) That's cool. To
1: prepare their research, to know about the person, Mm. and then to sit down with some general areas of discussion that they want to for sure cover, but try to make it into a conversation. People will respond to that, as you know well. Much much more readily than they will when you sit there and and, and blurt questions off. Well,
2: of and is it fair to say too? And I think this is a beautiful insight for me. And thanks for that. The, isn't that where the truth and the authenticity and the transparency really bubbles to the surface? When you are absolutely when you're when you're. I guess that is the definition of the word commiserate. You're connecting with this other person. Hopefully, you're capturing it on film, and and just relating. you know, embracing the other person in a way that maybe, you know, if you set it up as an interview, you're just not going to be able to break through.
1: You know, the one thing that really drives me a bit crazy when I'm interviewing uh, guests, because I try to create a scenario when I'm doing an interview for a documentary where essentially you create a conversational cocoon with you and the guest. Mm. And the one thing that messes me up is technical problems, right? Right. So you're getting into a conversation, you can feel the person is engaging with you and you're really getting some back and forth and you think, this is now I can start to draw out what I really want to draw out. And then you (laughs) understand. <laughs> and say, so we're getting a little bit of crackle on yes, the mic. Yes, yes, or batteries.
2: That's, it. that's Batteries it, on the H6. Or
1: something. And now suddenly you've just intruded that whole. Uh, technical world and now it becomes quite apparent that you are in an interview situation and you got to really work hard now to recreate it so well there's an yeah. intimate
2: there's an i think what you're speaking about is an intimacy that you develop right Absolutely. as a storyteller as a filmmaker as a poet as a whatever hopefully as a human being <laughs> absolutely <You laughs> um, gotta,
1: that is your basic level as you relate to them As a human being, if you can relate to somebody as a human being when you're doing some kind of an interview, then you've got a chance. To really draw something out, to get a conversation going, that's going to have that, that's really going to be valuable
2: to you. So, as an investigative journalist, as a journalist, is it is it about the truth? And let, let's talk about it in relation to to Rob's story here. I mean, it's just so heartbreaking. Thirty seven years old, young guy. Like I said, I had a bit of a relationship with him. Interviewed Brock recently. Uh, he's just, I mean, talk about a, I guess, a great Canadian. Oh, uh, listen,
1: nobody, uh, you know, regardless of what we found in the the investigation into this whole story, um, uh, nothing will ever cause me to disrespect Rob Stewart's work. I Mm. I mean, who by the age of 37, how many people can can really genuinely stand up and say, uh, you know, I helped, I contributed to saving an entire species, right? I mean, oh my God, that is just so... So such a huge accomplishment, and he did it with with his determination and his grit, and often not with very much money at all, but he had a tremendous, tremendous drive. And I will always admire the work that he has done. You,
2: you, and by the way, congratulations on the film, and and, and thank and, you. And, and uh, really enjoyed it uh, on on a variety of levels. The the layers it peels back, and once again, you, I think you really um, you handle it so well and so respectfully. And you end the film, and this is what I'm getting to. You end it so beautifully. You know, the, what are the three things that a, that a great activist, you know, needs to have passion, courage and, and imagination and Rob had all of those things and it, it, it's, it's, um, I think it speaks to a whole new generation too. Uh, and if Rob was here listening in or part of the conversation, he'd be, he'd be saying, I think absolutely right now, right? This new generation, that's so. what he's hoping to plant. You know, that the seeds, the, the splash and ripple, that's the stuff that gets me excited.
1: Yeah, and, and, and you're talking about Paul Watson making those comments, and, and I couldn't think of anybody who was more fitting to, to really uh, you know, have uh, one of the final words in our documentary, because, of course, you know, Rob went on board uh, Paul Watson's ship when he shar- sh- uh, filmed Sharkwater, the original. That really was, was, was Paul Watson's expedition. And, and, and Rob had the good sense to sort of see that as an opportunity and to film it and then to realize what the real story was. Um, but, you know, he certainly uh, got a huge amount of help from Paul Watson. And Paul and he were were sort of, uh, you know, warriors in uh, comrades in arms, I guess is what I'm, I'm looking to say. So I, I was really happy that Paul agreed to to talk to us and to tell us a little bit about Rob and to have those
2: final words. It's a and it's a beautiful testament to, to the work and to the person and and so on. Did you have um I mean clearly the the family appears in the film and did did you sort of have their blessing to go deeper because I mean I suppose any time you start to peel back layers, I mean we we don't have to go too far to start talking about conspiracy or or cover up or you know, I mean the implications are potentially pretty Crazy, so yeah, was well, we the, kept was the family on board?
1: we we approached the family very early on, and throughout this piece we kept in contact with them um, and they had they they toyed with doing an interview, of course, we asked them to do an interview right, and right. they toyed with the idea for for over a year, I would, I would guess. And, um, and, and they're still kicking it around, possibly uh, doing an interview. And we may have to do a longer international version, which we would be able to incorporate them into it. But I think I, 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 there seemed to be a change in their position when I had to explain to them at one point that I could not give them any editorial input mm. into this piece. That the CBC was the commissioning editor, and as such, I had to follow the CBC's journalistic policy guidelines. Right? I had no choice on that. That was just what I. Uh, that, those are the rules of the world, right. rules of engagement. And I explained that to them at one point when they were inquiring about having, you know, more editorial input on the piece. And I wondered often, it often dawns on me that maybe that was, for them, the defining factor on why they did not want to ultimately do an interview for this version of it. Right. But we kept them informed, you know, out of respect, because sure, listen, yeah. at, at the end of the day, whatever else has happened, a family has lost a son and a brother. And out of respect for that, we, I wanted to make sure that I kept them praised all the way along of what we were doing and what we'd accomplished. Line and I it. offered many, many times to sit down over a coffee and informally share some of the deeper research nice. that I had found. And I'm not sure they were why they weren't comfortable doing that or whether they were too busy to do that, but Unfortunately, that never really
2: happened. Well, there's a there's a scene, of, uh, a nice moment in the scene, and I believe it's with uh, Tom Tom Beaver and and Brian uh, saying something about, or at least you 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 communicate that sense of the family wanting to know what right. what, Tom what happened. At the Coast Guard how, how did this ever happen? How yeah. could this have happened to our son? Please find please find out what 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 the real the real story is.
1: Yeah, and Tom Beaver took that very seriously. Um I, I don't know for the Stuarts whether, you know, they'll even remember that comment that they made to him, but he remembers it very clearly. Oh, well, I and bet. for him it was more than just a casual, oh yeah, yeah, I'll get to the bottom of things. When he said that, at least what he conveyed to us, was he very much meant that he would throw himself kind of heart and soul into the into whole the, project.
2: Yeah, way more than just a toxicology test.
1: Yeah, way more than just sort of and now I'll do a standard autopsy. And he did. He did throw himself into it much, much more than that.
2: So, I I, I mean, I think I, I mean, I hardly know you, but I think I know you well enough based on the work I've seen and the conversations we've already had. But for you, this has got to be more, it seems to me, about response. This isn't about blame. It's about responsibility.
1: It's not about blame. And you know what? Funnily enough, David, I set out to, to, to make it about blame, not for Rob Stewart, of course, but I, I looked at the, the fact that they did three dives uh, right. on that final day to those, in, uh, to those really, really quite um, startling depths. And, and so the popular wisdom at the time was that you know this Bengali-like dive instructor had led Rob astray and killed him as a result of that. And I thought, okay, you know what? I am going to make sure that if that's the case, I set out to absolutely prove that. And you know what? I really couldn't sort of prove that. I I couldn't prove that, you know, that that, that Rob, nobody would describe Rob as some naive waif who could be easily led. In fact, everybody I spoke to about him, his friends, um, his colleagues, his fellow environmentalists, described him as someone who was very strong-willed, oh, who yeah. used his mind and who would not be just easily sort of bullied and led any, in any direction. Um, so well, it's so what and, that, and didn't that didn't add up then, right?
2: Oh, totally doesn't add up, and that and that's the quality that allowed him to make such a groundbreaking film Absolutely. like Sharkwater, right?
1: It's that drive and determination yep. and that ability to say, you know, I know what I need to accomplish here, and nobody's going to stop me. That's what made him so great. I it love. Also made him someone who's strong will. I and love
2: to. I love how, and it comes out in the film Sharkwater Extinction, which, by the way, everyone should see as well. But but, and you bring it out in the film uh, three one of your interviews, he goes on to another boat and pretends to be somebody else. Oh yeah, and I yeah, just, yeah. it just the the stones on Rob, you know, it just I, I love that about him that he, the, the end goal I, I got it. This is just it's just one more stepping stone. So yeah, I'm i yeah. I'm a professor from Dalhousie or I forget
1: what. It was. Chris Harvey Clark, he pretended he, he presented himself as, as Chris Harvey Clark, yeah. and Chris Harvey Clark, of course, was in the documentary. Uh, and 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 knew Rob and was there uh, and had had sort of um, had sort of little adventures with Rob on a couple of right. occasions. He was delighted that Rob had done that, right? He yeah, didn't see, take oh offense yeah, at all. That's right. Like, yeah. He was howling with laughter that he would get away with that. So, and Chris
2: is yeah. uh, Chris is the cold water shark guy. Yes, he is.
1: And, yeah.
2: And and unfortunately, it sounds like that's something that will never be, or certainly not not. Uh, uh, through Rob or with Rob, but, but Chris tried to get Rob to... to, to...
1: He was so disappointed. You yeah. know, I, I, again, I didn't put it in the film, but at one point, you know, he, was, he was on the verge of tears with mm. talking about how he and Rob would always be talking, and they just kept missing you know, the opportunity for him to show them the Greenland Sharks uh, right. and the torpedo right. race that he was studying. And, and he, you know, they tried for a, quite a long while to sort of make that work. But they had a huge mutual respect, and they would bump into each other at, at, at shark conferences in Europe, and, and, and they would in fact bump into each other on Capo Verde, where, uh, you know, Chris shot that home video that he, he was kind enough to let us use.
2: Were you, were you angry when you first heard? about this, was it were you just was it was it upset? Like, what was your initial reaction to the news reports of rob going going missing? Well,
1: I mean, I was sorry to hear about his passing in in, in terms of, you know, I, I think we at least I feel that there's we we all should have a a responsibility to trying to do something to help this planet uh, that we are rapidly destroying. And people like Rob Stewart, are few and far between who have the, the, the not only the the drive to do it but the charisma to pull mm. it off mm. to draw people into these issues right so of course i mean i 'm disappointed but my 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 reaction honestly was curiosity again right. uh, it didn 't add up for me uh, the other thing that didn 't add up was after I started scratching away at, at it was that he was described as being a neophyte rebreather diver and yet I've seen Sharkwater a number of times, and I have been, of course, all over the website, uh, the Sharkwater website, and there were pictures of Rob back in 2006 using rebreathers.
2: Oh, is that right, eh?
1: So that didn't make sense to me either. It's like, what? Well, hang on. If you're using rebreathers in 2006 to film your first movie, then, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So, again, it was more for me, you know, that's, sort of journalistic drive to say, when things don't make sense, I want to find out why they don't.
2: So Tom, Tom Beaver brings that up, does he not? That, that, that the community, or there was at least a few people involved in this, you know, in, in, in the investigation, and presumably the film and so on, that were sort of saying, oh, yeah, inexperienced, he panicked, he, he well, came to the surface too quickly.
1: Well, the first who tells us that he got about Rob Stewart's death was someone who tried to tell him that Rob Stewart was an inexperienced dri- diver. He had panicked when he had gone down on that third dive, shot to the surface, that only through the the heroic efforts of, of Peter Sodas grabbing him by the legs and slowing him down had he managed to even uh, survive to the surface, but that he blacked out on the surface because of decompression sickness and died. And so when Tom Beaver started to look into that, the first thing he discovered, even just from going... Uh, online and looking up Rob Stewart and doing rudimentary research was that this guy'd been diving since he was twelve years old, right. so he's, he was no you know inexperienced dive the man had a, was, had an impressive number of dives under his belt, and i 'm sure people describe him as being half fish for god's sake He's <laughs> totally at home in the water everybody
2: there's some just absolutely stunning images and uh, yeah, having seen Sharkwater several times as you said you you've seen them but in, in oh the, yeah I you film, see
1: him he is so totally at ease oh, in the water, Right? It
2: really it's just it's it's mysterious it's it's magical it's delightful it's just there's some absolutely. scenes at the end end of the film and i think i mean it looks like rob's in a i don't know a Speedo, I guess. I don't know what it is, but with the fins and the and he's, and yeah. he's snorkeling, I guess. And it's yeah. just Beautiful. stunning, yeah. just And, stunning and unt- so
1: Beaver Beaver looked at that and he went, "Well, that doesn't make sense. So <laughs> right. if they're telling me lies about this. What else? What else? Saying that's not true. And of course, what is not in the documentary because I did, you know, a lot of a lot of sort of the research details will get left on the floor is that when that group of people who ended up on that recovery boat set out to go and search for Rob Stewart's body, Tom Beaver had written to the fire chief an email, and he had said, hey, I'm not really comfortable with this because uh, you've got a bunch of people on board a boat, all of whom have an interest in this situation. In other words... Horizon Divers were the people who are, 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 are allegedly lost him and may, in fact, uh, be facing some kind of legal action for negligence. They're out there searching unsupervised. I'm not comfortable with that. That should not happen. So he had told, and that's before they'd even, that was the first day they were out there searching. And the fire chief wrote him back and said, oh, don't worry, Rob Blesser is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a, an experienced, um, person on body recoveries, he will make sure that the evidence is not uh, uh, destroyed in any, in any manner. And when, when Beaver found out that they had gone out anyway and recovered the body without consulting with him, He went ballistic.
0: Mm. He wrote
1: a blistering email to the fire chief again and said, you know, this is a this is a not only is this, uh, you know, wrong what you've done, but it's illegal. All right. I have under Florida law, I have absolute authority in this area. And you have defied my expressed wishes and gone out with this team and done it anyway. And so he was apoplectic over that. He knew exactly what the potential was. And then you've got you know, radio calls from Rob Blesser coming into the Monroe Police saying, we'll hand the body over as soon as we finish our forensics.
2: Which... So, I which, mean, yeah. Beaver
1: had good reason to be worried about all of
2: that. Well, yeah, and you don't have to be too much... I've I've, I've seen the film twice now, and you don't have to be too much of a conspiracist to, 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 to think there's something not quite right about that. Smoking gun, maybe?
1: Well, there's another thing that didn't come out, because, again, you don't have time to put all the documents right. in the documentary, but... but I got a copy of the police report um, from the Monroe County Sheriff's Department. And in that report, there are two people on board who work for the insurance company, and they misrepresent themselves to Brock Cahill. Mm. They tell Brock Cahill, according to the police report, oh, we're just volunteers. And only afterwards do they admit to him, well, actually, no, we work for the insurance company. So wow. again, it doesn't take too many things yeah. like that to be bubbling around for you to start to raise questions about what really did go on out there.
2: I, I just, I went to, I went to an old um, film. Um, is it The Firm?
1: Oh, yes, <laughs> yeah
2: with Tom Cruise. Yeah. 25 I don't know 20 25 years ago, something yeah, like man, that. Yeah, a bad movie though. I remember it. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, you start to you see you see a film like that and you 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 start to see stuff like this and you 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 really do have to wonder, which is I guess this is this is no longer blame now we're looking at responsibility. Um, somebody brings up in the film this i this it, it, intentional or or accidental. I mean, are you able to say where you stand on that, Robert?
1: intentional or accidental for what david
2: well yeah good good point um just the i guess do you the, mean rob's
1: death well yeah the the
2: oh, the, no. the, the way no no, no no i guess the way it was handled right i mean and that's the those are the questions do you you're mean raising. the aftermath yeah, where the, yeah. Where
1: there there is some indication that um uh, tampering maybe forensics were gathered without right. the medical exam oh no there was no way that was accidental that hmm. was intentional hmm there's no question that that was intentional. I mean, you know, you don't have, you don't have people from the insurance company on board taking pictures at the very least that we know about, possibly taking other forensic uh, samples. Uh, that's not accidental. There's not just some happy coincidence that's occurred. And, in fact, we know that they took some pictures because um, when the discovery process on the lawsuit started to happen, um, the lawyer for Horizon Divers filed a motion to block anybody else getting access to some 30 or 40 photographs that were wow. taken on the day the body was recovered. Well, now, what, who, who authorized those photos to be taken? So we know for sure they took at least some photographs. Uh, what else they did, who knows, right? I mean, it's, the problem is it's, it's, what happens on something like that And it's a question I asked the Coast Guard several times, and they refused to answer. They're doing their whole um, investigation, and, and it's based largely on the forensic evidence that was gathered in the aftermath. But if there was any kind of interference in the forensic process, if the chain of evidence is destroyed in any sense, then is not everything that they have in their possession fruit of the poison tree? Right. And I put that to the Coast Guard directly many, many times, and they never bothered to respond. They, they responded once saying, oh, we have taking that into account. And I wrote back and said, okay, that's fantastic. How, right? How can you take that into account?
2: Was that a, was that a William Blake reference? What's that? Fruit of the, Fruit of the Poison Tree. Fruit of the
1: Poison Tree. It's a legal reference, right? It's a legal... (laughs) I think Blake, uh, I think Blake's
2: got a poem called, (laughs) I think so. I'm going to have to look that up now. That's, but it's, and I think it, it would, it would actually relate. Maybe that's where the the phrase comes from. But yeah, Fruit of the Poison Tree, without a doubt. What, what, what's your hope? I mean, obviously there's a lot, you know, as a, as an editor, as a storyteller, there must be plenty of info and interviews and ideas and thoughts that you left out of the phone. Oh, there's a there's
1: ton of stuff. I mean, I, Is I, there a part
2: two? Is there a, are you hoping that, that this is going I, to, I
1: do think that when we like a, for, for, for a Canadian version because of commercial constraints, uh, a, a TV hour is 44 minutes, right? But, uh, an international version would be much longer, anywhere Mm. up to 52 minutes, which would give me uh, another eight minutes to play with. And if that happens, if we get an international sale, which I'm quite confident we will, then I would happily open it up and start to put a little more details. I would happily open it up and put an interview with the family if they chose to finally come forward.
2: I love how you also bring out, and it comes out in Sharkwater Extinction, and you don't have to go too far in the news to know, but so many people... Who, who, who you know came out to help, who came out to search the, the, the stories of support and and um, it's kind of a, again another testament to, to a guy who says, and I think it's in your film conservation should be taught before Shakespeare which that's is what I'm which saying, is uh, fantastic yeah, I, I,
1: that's, that's fantastic. yeah, yeah I, I, and I understand where he's coming from and I don't wholly disagree with him right. but, that in some respects, you know, uh, living on this planet is, 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 is more important than uh, even beautiful uh, works by someone like Shakespeare.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. I get that. I don't know if I would entirely agree with him, but <laughs> I know. get it. I get what he's saying. Yeah,
2: no, for sure. And I bet, and, and it's a soundbite, right? We'd, it, we, you know, if we could have a deeper conversation with Rob around that, and I'm sure somebody has, yeah. um, there's, uh, no, I think, the, but I think the point is, is it go, go goes deep. What, and what are, what are some of the insights, uh, that, that, that you were able to, um, I guess, bring to the, the, the filming and the questions that you asked as a diver. I mean, you've, you've been doing this for a while yourself. Um, well, did it I actually just raise went your... down.
1: I, I did not think I had enough cred to really do this piece. Um, I felt that I needed more training because right. uh, I, was not a re- I was not certified on a rebreather. And so before we started our filming, I flew down to Fort Lauderdale and I took a course on the same rebreather that Rob Stewart was using mm. from the same company that trained him. Wow. And because I wanted to be able to really understand this technology and I wanted to be understand what he was dealing with. And I actually did half a dozen dives with this rebreather off the coast of Fort Lauderdale. Um, and uh, it, was, it was really illuminating. I mean, I, I then began to understand... Um, why it was even conceivable that they could do three dives in one day. I would never do that on what's called open circuit, the Jacques Cousteau kind of, you breathe in and you breathe out all the bubbles. I'd never do that. Okay. But rebreathers it's much more than a, just a different way of breathing. It's, it's a whole system of survival underwater. It's more closer to what the astronauts are using oh, okay. their technology in space than it is
2: the the, in and the idea is that it's going to allow you to stay down longer. It's going to it's Quiet. going to be quieter, so you get closer access to the sharks. Yeah. Which just makes perfect sense from yeah, you can yeah, from from Rob's perspective. You know, the, but this is brilliant. You know, why wouldn't we use this technology?
1: Why wouldn't you use it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
2: So so yeah, but you know the third and the third dive. It just seems like the third dive on this particular uh, expedition was just so not. Necessary. I mean, they were going down to get what was it—a grappling hook? A grappling hook. Hmm. A a forty-dollar grappling hook. Yeah.
1: I mean, why they chose to do that? I think for both of them. And and and, you know, I said this to Peter Sodas. You know, like why bill me? You know, why didn't you just say to the skipper of the boat, put it on my tab? Yeah, no kidding, bucks, buddy. Yeah. You know, I am not going down and doing a third dive. And, and he was very confident, and, and maybe that really is what I have learned about, in that the, the common denominator with all of the characters in this, you know, I, I, I used the image of Icarus as sort of mm-hmm. a guiding principle, because mm-hmm. I found that the common denominator was hubris. Right. And I don't mean hubris yep. in, in, in the sense of arrogance, but hubris in the, in the real definition of hubris, of confidence, Maybe a bit of arrogance, but yep. an absolute belief that you ha- can do this right. and, yes. and I think that everybody that Rob Stewart, that Peter Sodas, even Tom Beaver, they all had that sense of hubris
2: mm. that
1: they thought that they could do what they wanted to do and it bit them all on the rear end. I mean, well, what was, you know? was it
2: wasn't it Peter's line Rob Rob did what Rob thought was best? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that. Well, but but again, that that's to me is the sign of a great filmmaker. It's a great, it's a great. That's an artist. That's yeah. that's what allowed him to do to do what he wanted to do. Let's talk. Just but sadly, we've got to wrap it up here in a couple minutes, Robert. But tell me a little bit about what Rob was trying to do at the time when he was going down. Was it the Queen of Nassau off the Florida Keys? It was about well, the sawfish sharks.
1: Um, he had been told by a scientist, uh, Chris Hardy Clark, was at the same shark convention in in Bristol in England, and an American scientist had been studying uh, sawtooth sharks and and was aware that there was a congregation of them on the Queen of Nassau, which Mm. is very unusual, and the water is much clearer there than it would be where you would typically get uh, sawtooth sharks, which would be in in brackish coastal water. So Rob was there trying to get down and get pictures of those. Very unusual to have pictures of sawtooth sharks. In their, natural in their natural habitat and, and to get them into any kind of feeding or mating behavior would be unique. I mean, it would be, uh, it would be a knock-em-out-of-the-park kind of shot.
2: Well, and again, I mean, isn't it, it for the right reasons, right?
1: Well, I think he was always, he was strongly driven to, for his, his cause and his cause was to preserve this, this, this amazing creature. I mean, I see sharks when I'm diving and, and not really very often anymore mm. you know 10 or 15 years ago if i was diving in a tropical location or uh, you know you would see you could count on seeing sharks constantly and and it was delightful and but in the last few years if i see a shark in a week of diving that's that's yeah, rare.
2: That's pretty remarkable. I mean, you know, it's funny. I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. But, but uh, when I was talking to Brock about about Sharkwater extinction and so on, I sort of implied that, hey, listen, love them on film gorgeous animals. Um, but Rob would only be too happy to remind me that they were like predators and at the top of the chain, <laughs> still not sure I want to swim with them. Um, you know, I, I, I love watching Rob do it, but, but there's still this, I don't know if it's fear, but Rob would probably say I have fear, but I would like to think it's healthy respect.
1: Well, you know what? I think if you're, you're, you're a fool, if you have absolutely no fear, fear is a normal reaction. And, and when you have a, Large apex predator around you like that. I'm always very excited, but that's not to say that I'm not also quite apprehensive. I mean, I keep my distance. Yeah, and, I, I, and I'm very respectful of not getting in their face, right? Place, right? Uh, and they generally leave you alone. They're generally pretty not interested in people. Um, if they're curious, they'll come around and check you out. But they, their sensors are picking you up and figuring you right. out long before you're ever seen. Which is right. the,
2: one of the many, many insights that Rob has brought to us as, uh, as, as uh, you know... Um uh, the, brought to everyone really the insights that this the humanizing of the shark right talking about the eyes and the emotions and and what are they communicating and are they communicating something and we don't need to fear them the way we've normally feared them and i just i so love what he's what, what what he's done with respect to you know from from that perspective changing our understanding and perception but and to your point what's the quote virtually saved a species single-handedly yeah, you know, I, I think mean, that's really a true. Remarkable too remarkable. Uh, you know,
1: I had an experience with sharks, and I, I and I'll just share this if I've got some. time. Yeah, no, go go. It was in the Bahamas, and they have these kind of T-shirt shark dives. You know, where you go and you 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 kneel on the on the uh, on the, the the sea floor in a fairly shallow water, and the sharks kind of know you that people are going to be there, right. and they bring a feeding uh, crate, and they feed the sharks <laughs> out of these crates, right? Yep. So so it attracts like. You know, there could be twenty or thirty sharks swimming around, and they're buzzing you. I mean, so so they're they're so close that as they swim by, their fins are brushing your hair right, kind of thing. Right. And these are like you know four, five, six foot long reef sharks. Okay, and and I remember watching one swim by me, and and it it, it was only like about a foot away. And what struck me it was like an epiphany at the time was I watched its eye look me over. And when I looked in that eye, I didn't see a mindless killing
2: machine. Right, right. I
1: saw a curious, sentient creature. Yeah. And that was a real transition for me. I know it may sound sort of cheesy in that, but it was like I went, oh my gosh, these things, they're they're not mindless killing machines. I don't know a lot about them, but I do know that these are sentient creatures and they have at least a sense of curiosity. And that was a very interesting experience for me.
2: Yeah, it's a beautiful insight. And, I'm
1: sure Rob Stewart had many, many, much more closer encounters with sharks, and he would have known them, of course, you know, ten times better than anything that I would know about. But
2: well, at least
1: I've had a little exposure to them.
2: Well, and I think that was one of the driving forces behind the work. It was, you know, I want people to understand them and see them the way that I see them. And I think mm-hmm. I think that's a marvelous place to to be working from. If we could all see others and. Uh, other cultures, other other face, other people in in the sa- same way. I mean, the the insights here are just uh, you know, and the metaphor and, uh, just, and the symbols just to me are just so profound with your film and 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 Sharkwater Extinction and all of Rob's work. Frankly, Robert, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. I i uh, it's a it's an insight. Are you hoping that this is going to open a further investigation? Is that is, that a, is that a, Can you answer that question? You know even? what
1: I would like. I would like at least. That, that people understand at the end of the day But to me, the quote that is most relevant is the quote from Tom Beaver, is that he says, there's a lot of blame to go around. There's a lot of blame. And, and at the very least, you know, it, it is a complicated situation. Mm-hmm. It's not so easy as to point a finger and say, bad guy, good guy. There's a very much a more complex sort of blend of things that are going on. If people come away from the documentary with that, then I think mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very happy. And I, I, the other thing I would like to see, is I would like to see in the U.S., I think that they should be definitely um, launching an investigation right, into right. what really did happen on that recovery boat and getting to the bottom right, of that, right. you know, having some people explain what their
2: actions were thanks for your time today we've been talking thank to you. robert osborne about the third dive the death of robert uh, rob stewart it's a documentary coming up on cbc docs pov look for it other places too it will exist there i i hope robert for at least a while and it's it sounds like you're you're hopefully steps away from a international deal as well thank thanks so much for your time today
1: thanks for having me david This is a Rabble Podcast Network show.
0: Rabble.ca. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello?